Episode 97 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace Podcast. What's going on, gentlemen? Brooklyn, hey, Brooklyn. How you doing? That's it. We're here in an undisclosed location on Staten Island. In a garage. In a garage. In a studio. Bad Racket Garage. The Bad Racket Garage. Introduce yourselves, gentlemen. This isn't a formal thing, so just let's just shoot the shit. I'm Mr. Caves. Going to Brooklyn. Uh, the Edge One. Watch uh, going to Scotty Edge. Scotty Edge, my man. What's going on, fellas? Man, we're, we are... Uh... Well, I just want to start by saying thank you for inviting me to your oh. studio, and I have like a little behind the scenes of what's going on yeah, over yeah, here, yeah, so it's yeah. pretty my, fucking my, dope. My pleasure, man. Sorry that it took a moment to get... Uh, Get us together and get it going. I know that you had Paulie on the show a while back. You had yep. Andrew. You had yeah, had all the loads of Brooklyn guys. Had, I think had, five of them. You had a bunch of get a bunch of cats mm-hmm. um, making appearances, which is very cool because we're all anticipating the new release of uh, Family Reunion. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's. You had just told me before, I mean, I guess the cats had a day because I believe that you you posted it on your Instagram that for the new record, which is Family Reunion. There's 12 tracks on the record, and you're actually doing 12 videos. Yeah, I mean, we, we didn't have no real formal formal way of putting it out. We just like we just said, you know what? We're gonna make these songs together. We got in, I don't know how long ago we, we we got together and said, okay, Adam was making some beats for the Bad Racket project that he was doing. Right. And when he started playing me some of these beats. Um, I was like, man, those are, those are Lords of Brooklyn all day, you know? Yeah. And, and we once tried to get in together, me, Scott, Paulie, and Adam, and we just touched, we scratched the surface, say, okay, maybe this, this feels good again. Let's uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back and huddle up, uh, you know, probably took a year to get to that place, right? Where yeah, at least. At least a year before we were like, all right, Adam's got some some heat, some smoke. Yeah. Um, he's out here with... Uh, with Melo and Tommy and the boys, like, uh, just, Adam's always on, on like, uh, the secret location, Honeycomb Hideout. The Honeycomb Hideout. Smoking, smoking the, uh, Mary Jane and, and coming up with the, uh, the method to the madness. I mean, he's always, he's like, to me, the, one of the best kept secrets, like, uh, producers on, on this coast. Yeah, I, I think, uh, personally, I think he's slept on and underrated as well. I mean, he's done so much fucking dope shit. It's like, he doesn't come up in that... They, they, well, you know what? Who are the dopest producers? You always get like the same yeah. five to seven people, but but you know, cats on the street, you know, like you know right, I mean? like I, like Freddie Fox, um, like we you know, we love a lot and, and got so much respect for over the years. We've done so many things with him, but it says Adam, you know, Adam makes songs cry, you know, like he makes in a, in a good way, like he makes he makes shit weep because his tracks are, are super uh, intense and emotional, and, and he's always been. Um, Slept on, but that's cool because when you get punched in the face, you didn't see it coming. You right. Know what I mean? <laughs> there you go. That's a good fucking analogy, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, we, we, we said 
we said we were going to get back together, and, and, and things worked out where um, we had this location, and, um, and the tracks, like I said, were, were hitting, and, and um, we wanted to bring it back to that 90s hip-hop, you know, sure. that, 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 uh, that Brooklyn uh, that Brooklyn flow, um, that Barazano, Farrow shit, you know, so we, we, we felt like the timing was right, and of course, the way music is right now, uh, there's a lot of everything, right? Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of everything, and not to like uh, shit in anybody's cornflakes. It was we felt like it was time to, to to hit because we didn't we didn't feel like there was nothing like us. There isn't a bunch of rowdy rowdy boys from Bay Ridge that know how to you know, you know mix it up. You know what I'm saying? We've so, been around the block a few times. Yeah, yeah once or twice. So a couple, two, three times. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know. Yeah. It, it's got to feel organic, it's got to feel natural, and it's like, why well, we call it the family reunion, because the first record was called Over in the Family, and, you know, sometimes you don't see family in a long time, and so you ring the bell and say, okay, we're going to have a family reunion, and you get together, and, you know, make sure you bring, bring the beers and the, and the, uh, and the barbecue, and, and, the, yeah. and, the, uh, and the Sunday sauce. Right? And the Sunday, or, yeah. or, or do you call it sauce or you call it gravy? I call it sauce. Okay, I do my, too. My house, and you always call it sauce. It's all, yeah, mine too. It's always sauce. You know, That's the big debate. And we throw meatballs and sauces in our shit, because I know you add meat, it, it, you know... It's it technically screams, turns into gravy, it but... It screams gravy, but no, sauce was yeah. always uh, a yeah. common, common... Uh, to me, gravy's brown. True. You know? Gravy's like you're on a fucking sloppy Joe. Or, yeah, or, or like or on your turkey or whatever. Yeah. What do you think, Scotty Edge? Oh, uh, yeah, I really don't get in that, that, that debate. I, mean, I, I, I think I'm the other way around. I think when I make like when I make a, a sauce and I put meat in it, I kind of think it's like called the gravy. But it's I don't catch a little bit. But, uh, There's know, some but there is gravy. Gravy, gravy is brown. From, I mean, you know, yeah. you know, I mean so I don't know. You, you know. came from fucking Bay Ridge. Like, right. I don't know when to get every, mad at me about this. I really, you know. Every neighborhood has, you know, everybody's yeah. family has something different to say about that. Absolutely. But how many onions you put in your Sunday service? Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, two small onions. Two small onions. <laughs> you chop up that garlic, right? That's it. A little olive oil, right? Olive Let that oil. shit simmer for a couple of hours. That's it. Now the you know the cans of tomatoes uh, <laughs> is the next is the next uh, question is it Scafani or is it uh, Al Pacino What are you doing? Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, yeah, listen. <laughs> so we felt like the timing was right, and um, and it, it's really about how do you still keep the integrity of the first record and the rawness of the first record because that was a lot of piss and vinegar on that first record. Sure, it took us years. Well, actually, I mean. Uh, you know, that's not our first music. Me and Mike and Adam have been together since 1989, so... Okay. That's that's a long yeah. time now, you know? Yeah. How do all you guys meet? From the neighborhood? Yeah. yeah. You all went to the same school and shit like that? Um, no, nah, it, didn't, it didn't, go down, I didn't go down like that. But, Scott, you went to Fort Hamilton. I went to Fort Hamilton. Yeah, Scott went to yeah, Fort Hamilton. Yeah, a couple of years. But, um, you know, word travels... Word travels quick when, when you're in the neighborhood and there's not a lot of rappers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So there's only a handful of rappers, but, I mean, we all came up... In the neighborhood, um, as little snot-nosed kids, and and, uh, and but graffiti was was what really brought you know it all together. Yeah. That's where it all really like f- like the formula first, the formula in the ink, that store ink was mm-hmm. was was that where the foundation came from. Like when I when I started writing graffiti, um, that was like a rebirth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying so. It was like all things were possible because. We came from humble beginnings and, you know, a uh, broken house and, and, you know, 
Uh-huh. Parents just got divorced and all that crazy shit. You know, yeah. typical Brooklyn story. And, and yeah, um, I, know, I know it all yeah. too well, my man. And, and um, I was the oldest of the family, and you know, um, my mom uh, grew up in Bay Ridge. We moved back to Bay Ridge, and, and um, luckily enough, it's all about like uh, longitude and latitude, and the universe and the stars the way they line up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Um, the block that she grew up on, they used to call her Little 92nd Street because her and her brothers uh, and their parents lived right around the corner of 104 Schoolyard and it was called the Oscar Meyer House or something. They okay. lived in this little house next to the schoolyard and legend has it that my grandfather and my grandmother, my, you know, my nanny I called her, she used to, you know, be a pretty little hot tomato and all the kids used to try to like, you know, Yell at her at the schoolyard, and my grandfather would come back, come out like on some tars and shit, and wring people's necks. But my little, but my my uncle, my oldest uncle was like a neighborhood celebrity as a kid. Um, uh, uncle Jack, he was a, he played for St. Pat's. He was a, a baseball, like a baseball figure, like he all around like crazy athlete, and uh, he had a, he had a rep in the neighborhood for being like crazy talented with with the baseball. Yeah. Um, and my mom was a like. You know, uh, the little, the little, uh, they called the little 92nd Street because there was a group of kids that all hung out on 92nd Street in Gelston. It was a 104 schoolyard. Mm-hmm. And they sang doo-wop in there. And people got, you know, all that happened has always happened in the schoolyard, you know? Sure. But when we moved, when my mom moved back into the neighborhood, um, that block was a special block because it was always like, and they called it the Gelston, the Gelston ghetto, you know, uh, because it was like, Bay Ridge was wild. It's like, Economics of Bay Ridge is like on one side of the street you have a million dollar house, and then on the other side of the, the street you have like a shithole apartment, like a welfare a tenement apartment or yeah. whatever, like a, a walk up or what. And and uh, we lived on the second floor, B seven. And um, you know I came on the block, and I had talent, artistic talent, um, and uh, I had a shitty little BMX bike that I thought it was. You know, I thought I was evil Knievel on, and I didn't have much, you know what I mean? But I had this creativity that... You made do with what you had. Yeah, man, and, and um, the, the happenings on the block back then was straight graffiti. Like, there was, there was these kids on our block. Like I said, there was 40, 50 kids at all times, but there was a group of kids um, that were part of a crew called the Bad Racket, TBR. And there was RS3 and, and Sir that lived across the street from my building, and... Um, and these kids were, were, they had decent hand styles. I mean, that Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and crazy, loopy hand styles. And and, um, and there was a writer named R.R. That was also another, he was like the neighborhood, like Sylvester Stallone. You know okay. What I mean? And he had the swagger that everybody looked up to R.R. Um, and uh, these kids, uh, Killer Kane, RS3, RE, the original High Five, these were all the older kids. So yeah. we're the younger kids. These are the older kids. What year are we talking about around? Uh, 19, late, late 79, 1980. Damn, okay. 1980. Right? Okay. I'm going to say 70, yeah, late 79 and the early 1980. Okay. Um, I was in the uh, sixth grade. Okay. So you see everybody that got these markers in their pocket. And I think RS3 and uh, Sir... Uh, with these tough German kids, you know, like real knock-around kids, like real, like, uh, fucking ducky boys. You okay. Know? And um, they sold us the, our first, like, bag full of, like, store ink, 
and minis. And I know I copped a, a BB gun from him and like a pair of brass knuckles, like my first week on the block. You know, mm-hmm. I had a twenty dollars or something. And then, um, <laughs> and I know I came home, I got my ass kicked because I had like a bag full of guns and markers and shit. <laughs> of like, course yeah, you yeah, did. You, know, you, you know? get your ass kicked. Yeah. My father. I remember Punk my father, ass like, kid. My father would visit the block. He pulled up in like the, the Seville, the Cadillac Seville, and he, my mother gave you know told him the business that I had this gun and 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 um. And these markers, and he made me fucking go up to the house and return it. So that was like the first, like fucking with your tail between your legs, and yeah. like, the, and they and, and the Fens and brothers looking at me like you punk motherfucker, like you just got us in trouble, you know what uh-huh. I'm saying? But long story short, it's like I had a talent, I had a knack for. They were all tagging, everybody had a tag, and we used to have sessions right there in the street with chalk. Yeah, chalk sessions where we we were just getting down with chalk, and that's where you're writing all toy names, zip zap, this that or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And in my building, um, the um, cat that was one of my first partners, High Five, lived in my building, and crazy kid James Langdon. There was all these, all these casted characters, the old ladies that sat in front of the apartment buildings in the in the lawn chairs and the beach chairs, mm-hmm. talking shit about everybody's, uh, talking shit about everybody's kids and whatnot and what have you. <laughs> And those hot, you know, Brooklyn summer blocks and where everybody's outside when, you know, it's no bullshit. It ain't, it ain't like, this shit is like the real deal. Fire hydrant, uh, Sid the ice cream man. Yeah. Like that summer shit. But, well, the kid, we didn't have nothing like you were saying. We're all sitting around playing manhunt and all that bullshit. Yeah. Um, and you're bored or, or you're out of your mind. But that graffiti becomes that shit where you're like, you start you know, you get jumped into that, this secret society and, like, the superhero shit where you yeah. take on this persona, which is larger than life. Now, when my uh, my brother, my little sister, my little sister's 10 years younger than us, so my mother was a waitress, so she needed a babysitter, so she hired the girls from the block. And there's plenty of hot little girls on the block that are willing to babysit or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and basically, this girl, Marianne, uh, R.R. was had a thing for her. He was in love with the girl Marianne, and 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 Marianne babysit Chrissy and this girl Monica. So he would come by the house, uh-huh. and here he comes, you know, like fucking like I said, like fucking Sylvester Stallone and the Lords of Flappers or something. Here he comes bopping down the block, and he sees me tagging in the street and trying to come up with something, and um. You know, he knew that that Marianne was our baby. He wanted to get good with the babysitter, you know. So he, he pulled up a little chair, you know, and and um and showed gave me some attention, you know. And I don't know if he was showing off for the girl or whatever, but you know, I had that moment where you meet your first, you know, that's the way you meet your first mentor or your first sure idol, like yeah. neighborhood idol. Mm-hmm. And you know how it is in in in, in neighborhood. There's, there's mad kids. The drama's always thick. And for this dude to pay a little attention to me was was a turning point in my little ten year old life. Sure, I'm fucking devastated about. I just got thrown on this block. Your parents and whatnot, the fighting, the the all of that uh, dysfunction and shit, and just trying to survive. And then Rodney says, "Yo, what you trying to write?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, I'm trying to come up with a tag." He's like, "Oh, my, you're in luck. My brother just retired," and and. He writes uh, calves, and uh, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you his name. So it was K A V S. Now Rodney Reese wrote R R, and also A K A Sace. Um, he wrote these two tags because um, his his boy retired the tag Sace to him, 
at a grammar school. He was too old to write graffiti. <laughs> at, at a grammar, grammar school. school right? That's so awesome. He gives, me, he gives me the tag, and that summer he takes me under his wing. He teaches me his hand, like that famous Brooklyn uh, Sunset Park, Bay Ridge hand styles, and, and, and basically, um, you know, that summer was like just, you know, him taking me on the wing and, and, and teaching me how to go, you know, write graffiti. Yeah. And, but like realistic, like kind of like um, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel-san shit, like lessons of like writing and, and, and um, from A to Z. Yeah. And, um, and so I learned tagging, tags from tagging style from him and the local cats that were on my block and throw ups and, and this stuff. And now Bay Ridge wasn't known for like piecing yet. Right. Not okay. at all. And uh, mostly for throw ups. And there was one cat that was the, the, the writer that influenced Rodney Reese was a 70s writer named Gasp. Okay. Gasp 69. So, um, so Rodney, like I said, took me under, under his wing and. and we did a lot of damage. Rodney was like a bus king, and like you don't hear about like yeah, graffiti, man. Graffiti's like a all like graffiti's like how do I say? Um, it's 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 more than just one thing. You know what I mean? To be an all-out graffiti writer, and you heard it before, going all city and this and that. Sure. But it's like a a gladiator sport that was above ground and underground. Uh-huh. When you were above ground, the idea was. You, know, you had rules to, to, to the game, right? And the rules were you, you had, like, this, this gripe against the city because the city didn't care about the kids, right? Right. It was, like, run-down New York City in the 70s, was dilapidated, it was, it was broke. Sure. You know, you know the story, Ford told New York to go fuck itself. Yeah. These kids were disfranchised. It didn't matter what neighborhood you were in, what kind of kid you were, black kid, white kid, Puerto Rican kid. If you were a city kid, inner-city kid, you felt it. Right. You know, you really, you felt the pressure, um, and you felt that there was that there was no future. Right. right. Hold on. Someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Hey, it's all yeah. right. <laughs> Hello there. Scotty, did you meet? You, you you didn't meet him at this point yet, right? No, I didn't meet Mike until uh, probably uh, I guess when. We'll get Mike's a couple years. Well, we'll, 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 Scott. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to you, we'll I get guess. Him. We'll get him. We'll get him. We'll get him. We are. I'm trying to. I'm going to try to make it. We'll try to get to the Lords real quick. Nah, yeah. that's cool. That's but cool. Scott. Scott grew up. What's what block you grew up? Mostly? I grew up on 72nd Street. 72nd. So, so I'm in the 90s. Yeah. Right. Got the 80s and 90s. Bay Ridge is. I don't know. 600,000 people. I don't know what it. What the, it is the now? Max number it is. It was something like. Couple hundred thousand people, and the borders of Bay Ridge was from the bridge and the base to you know to the BQE overpass, the Verrazano Bridge yeah, for yeah. people who have no idea. And now they just gave it back another Z, so <laughs> there's a debate about how to spell it, but to us it's one Z, right? Um, so the just to outline what Bay Ridge is, you got the shores, you got um, let's say like after the golf course. It was kind of like our world. Right. And um, so, you know, just coming up to the ranks with Rodney, as, you know, as a graffiti writer, you had to put in, like, real work. So, like I said, up underground, uh, above ground, it's like a all-season sport that the buses, anything was, was made by the city was fair game to get your name up and market yourself. There's no right. internet at the time. You're going to market yourself as the subway or the buses. Yep. That's where you're getting the most 
bang for your buck. The neighborhoods come in later, like writing, like and then going throughout the neighborhoods, like oh we did in P13. Yeah, that wasn't you know to me those were the first real all city kings, you know up you know uh, above ground. Um, so the deal is is that you know you just you're learning you're learning this and you find a voice through a spray can. So. That's the important thing, right? So that's where the Lords of Brooklyn's rips, like kind of like where it starts the, the first, first conception of it is because we, we were telling stories with spray cans, right? Right. And um, so, you know, I mean, I'll make a long story short. As I grew in fame and talent, I started like, like really shining because there wasn't a lot of people taking the piecing as serious in... in South Brooklyn the way I was. I mean, there was cats from other parts, but I'm talking about Bay Ridge. Um, there were some cats in Sunset Park, but I was competitive with it. Like, I wanted, like, after, like, my me parting with Rodney was, you know, what happens is you kind of outshine the master, and then the master tells you, oh, it's time to move on. Right. So, um, there was a, a cat from Staten Island that was copping weed on my block named Mars, S.G., SG was was a Staten Island cat that um, his father had a architecture firm in the city. Okay. So when he showed up on my block, he's a writer, copping weed. What you write is what other writers mostly step to you and like, what the fuck you write? Sure. There's a lot of that that goes on. Of course. But SG, we hit off like that, and he was well advanced in the IRT wild style kind of. uh, he was there, there he's a, maybe a couple of years older than me okay. and that was my thing is I always met cats I was always like a runt with a lot of talent and a lot of and a big mouth that I would but I would always recognize that you had to be with the best right you don't fucking you know you, you have to if you want to fucking you know fly with the eagles you gotta be a fucking eagle not yeah. a pigeon and shit so there you go even if you're a pigeon you're pretending to you be an eagle pretend. yeah yeah you're gonna you know uh <laughs> So, you know, long story short, like, there's a lot of influences that go on in our lives with different writers and different people. And, and like, a good, a, the good foundation is that I put in a lot of work in those early years from, like, 1980 to, let's say, 86, right? And I built a name for myself. But when I got caught in 85... Where'd you get caught? By the Vandersquad Squad in in um in where was I? Fresh Pond Pond Yard. Okay, it was in a layup. Yeah, and it was a train yard, Fresh Pond. Okay. Um, Doing end to end cars with my my boy Revs, my partner at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, This Bay Ridge guy, right? Yeah. So it um you know my graffiti career on the trains had to calm down and chill out because that was it you know you get popped I was 15 years old and it took the fight out of me a little bit but I became you know you get used to being you get this kind of street thing and this creativity that comes from it it's like when you feel alive yeah and you don't want that to stop nope so that's when I was just like what next like okay like I'm on a mission that you know I got a I got this young mom, a beautiful young mom, but, but needs a house and a picket fence. Like that's a Brooklyn boy's dream. Like sure. get your get your mom out of the hood and, yeah. and get her the house and all of that type of shit. So I'm like, how the fuck are we gonna 
you know, life imitating art, art imitating life. Uh, we like that John Travolta shit was that Santa Fe shit was real to me. Yeah, because that was like the most important shit in my life because I seen like that's a neighborhood story out of my neighborhood and 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 that Verrazano Bridge when I walk up to the my my rooftop of you know in my apartment building that's the view that Verrazano Bridge could maybe take me to places I never been before. Yeah, and John Travolta was like an inspiration with that character, like. Using what, using his talents to get out of his situation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, the pop culture, American cinema, kind of raised us. Absolutely. Because you get, you get, you know, I mean, your parents got a big influence on you, but a lot of times you're not with your parents, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah, there's a lot. Your outside. parents are working. Your parents are hustling. Your parents are doing all all they can to just. And most of the time, your parents are young, and, and as a kid, you don't understand that they're right. just fucking kids raising kids and. Same here, yeah. Um, and so, you know, you know, my father had my father was a greaser, you know, a, uh, was in a gang, uh, a greaser gang in Brooklyn in the '60s. That was a big gang in Flatbush, right? And it was called Pigtown. So, his influence on me with the hot rods and the, and and the gang culture, I wanted to emulate real bad because there was nothing there was nothing tougher. And these Brooklyn gangsters or these Brooklyn gang <coughs> cats, and their doo-wop music and their own, you know, their own scene, mm-hmm. and so you imitate that as a kid. So, you know, I was formulating this this plan <coughs> that what would be next. So hip hop, right? So with the graffiti, like Scots in the seventies, right? We're meeting different kids, different neighbors. The graffiti took me into <clears throat> Sunset Park. Right. Met different kids in Bay Ridge. I met this this uh, kid that was a big influence on us as well. Me and my brother Joey and Ander, Puerto Rican kid from Sunset Park, and moved to Bay Ridge. <laughs> and when I met him in Grand School, he had his, his lead jacket you know, with some you know, concrete shit. He said he did. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Took him a minute. So, I mean, to backtrack a little bit, like, when we talk about the culture and hip-hop culture, Joey Hernandez, me and him became like blood brothers. And like, I was into martial arts as a child. Right. He had the concrete jacket and hand painted, but he didn't write the video yet. Right. I wrote, and he used to watch my back while I used to go bomb. Okay. Okay. 
took whatever was from he would uh he had relatives that were uptown in the New York City breakers. Okay. So when he came back to Bay Ridge, now this block, my block is mostly just rock kids, like passion kids that like Jim Morrison and, and fucking Deep Purple and shit like that. Oh yeah. Mostly burnouts. Like leftovers from Vietnam, as came back and the kids were rockers and like that whole scene was like Rappers Delight we had, and me and Adam used to have a breakdance routine, the Rappers Delight, in school we used to do, right? So, But that was like a kitchen thing that came and went. Right. But it was really that Run DMC record that my brother's friend Charles Ballard gave to him that really opened us up. Suck so, MCs. Yeah, yeah, and it's like that. So right. the, the other side of Suck MCs was even bam, bam, bam. Yeah. It was tough. Hard. So all this shit's going on at the same time, us meeting Joey, Joey... In our little hallway, teaching us how to spin on our back. Now, networking. We're going to have to talk louder with that. The book is in the the book's happening right now. You know, oh, really? A book of all this shit. But I want to get this guy. I want to get to the boys. But the deal is, is that um, Joey, we all met in grammar school in the sixth, seventh grade. And okay. Joey was a tough uh, Puerto Rican kid that was crazy into martial arts. And and being in Bay Ridge, he was a minority in the sense that he was uh, the same same thing. Mom taking care of him. And then there was a third cat in our little crew that we started getting together with was, was this kid Troy. Troy Jenkins was a kid from the army base, brother from the army base, and there wasn't a lot of black kids in our neighborhood. Right. The, most of the black kids came from, like, Bay Ridge. People think it's so, it was so segregated and, 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 I mean, stereotypically you know, super racist and everything else, but the truth is, is that it was, yes, right. but at the same time it wasn't because the army base, a lot of people have respect for the military. Absolutely. And a lot of the kids that were from the military base used to go to the grammar school. So they would come out of the base and go to grammar school. So there was a lot of uh, kids that were all nationalities in this little grammar school because of the army base. Right. So there was... so. That's what made my school special in that sense. And, of course, there was kids getting busted in from Flappers and everything else. And, like, you don't really have... You know, for the, for the most part, my mom was a hippie chick, and she was pretty liberal and open-minded. She was into Hendrix and Joplin, and my father was into Zeppelin and Stone stuff. But my father's an old-school Brooklyn dude that that's on that street shit. And you do have this kind of tension and, and, and racial tension because in the 60s, Kids were bust into the schools and Flatbush, and there was a lot of beef, and there was a, so there is the, there's all this kind of mixed vibes. Yeah. But as little kids, man, when you have something like graffiti and hip hop and all this stuff that bring you together, like in that sandbox, nobody's fucking giving a fuck about that. No. Later on, the things get put in our heads, and kind of <sighs> yeah. let us base our bullshit, right? Yep. Um, but. Especially like nowadays, which we won't even fucking get into. Yeah. It's just it's insane. But Troy, but Troy, 
was like I said was 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 his, his mother was like a like a cat like a a general like maybe not as high as a general but she was up there in rank right. and fucking strict and here was this you know this kid Troy that that would come out of the base and be most of the time my mom would be like she let us do what we wanted she was she, well, she was uh, a server a waitress at one of these diners. And she just wanted to know we were safe at home. She was like, you could have your friends sleep over, hang out, whatever. So most of the time we're practicing breakdancing or practicing graffiti in the peace books. And um, we filmed, we, we, we built this bond that was, was super tough. So those couple of years in the early 80s and breakdancing and going to Sunset Park and being like the only little white boys that got down with those breakdancing crews and like battling that United States of America. We started bringing a, a culture to this part of the neighborhood that wasn't really, you know, like I said, it was mostly rocket kids, and it was yeah. like, like it wasn't, the shit wasn't popping off, so we started breakdancing on 86th Street in front of Century 21 for money. Oh, shit. And we were the first cats out there with the, with the, uh, with the cardboard boxes getting down, and, and really, like, crowds on the weekends were fucking crazy, surrounded us, it was, it was nutty how, 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 how wild it was, and we had a little yeah, break. I imagine, I picture, you know, Century yeah. 21, I know the whole neighborhood, like, and the back we, we had a little breakdance crew called Just Begun and it, after this Jimmy Castlebunch song and we spent most of our weekends at the United States of America battling other crews and this and that and, and we met such incredible people and shout outs to Brat and Zane and all those kids from Bensonhurst that you wouldn't think was great dancing because you think Bensonhurst would think oh what the fuck they know about hip hop big those kids had a, a Ill influence because they're breakdancing. Zane. Zane, yeah, Joe, Joe D'Onofrio. Joe D'Onofrio. And Brat. You know, I Joe, had Joe, Joe Cal- Joe Calandrillo, you know, like, but I'm jumping around, and I, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to jump around, because the one thing that connected us was the 86th Street Yell and cruising down the L, but it's thick, man, New York, like Brooklyn, this, this section of the world is a different, is, is a real, like, it's a throwback, but then again, there's people that are trying to push it into the future, and we just happen to be lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to have the influence to bring kids together under this umbrella. Right. And, and, and call it something of our own with it, the hip-hop and the breakdancing and the graffiti. So we're doing this graffiti and the breakdancing and we start getting notoriety for that too. Yeah. And we start becoming like this street, like the fiend for this fame. Like it's kind of like the kids out now with the Instagram and this and that, but we had to work for us. Yeah. It wasn't taking a picture. It was actually spinning on your fucking head. It was it doing was, work. It was real doing work. work. You're like putting, like getting dirty. Yeah. We're like putting, like putting, you know, Years in the tunnels and in the train yards yeah. and, 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 and being, uh, but, and I, and I think that's why like a lot of, I say this kind of ad nauseum on the, on the podcast, but it, it brings true in, in conversations. It's like, I think that you appreciate and you have a, a long lasting bond and it's appreciated when you're actually doing that work where all this phone shit and this Instagram shit, it's just like, it's fly by night nonsense. Yeah. People forget about it because there's no work involved. There's no dedication. There's no hustle. There's no it's, blood and sweat. And exactly. Tears. Exactly. So like the Lords of Brooklyn blood, sweat and tears thing is, is no joke because it, it, it it started like I bring you back to that little background just to get people to understand that this wasn't like oh uh, you know Run DMC hip hop was popular so a bunch of white boys wanted to do it too right it wasn't this this is not the way it came to be exactly Um, it was very much a real organic blood sweat and tears kind of finding yourself as a child and having trying to 
coming of age of, of, of children making art for other children and sharing art with other children. Right. So that's where the graffiti comes and that's where the, the prejudice, where the racism, all that shit goes away and gets washed away and it comes about style. And it comes about like real style. Like if it was the leather styles and the graffiti and, and me trying to like top myself with doing three handball courts, not one, three together right. to make spray can art. Yeah. Not, you know, Okay, Brooklyn Bay Ridge wasn't known for peace, and okay, I'm gonna make sure that we're fucking really known for peace, and I'm gonna right. do wild style on the train with Japanese animated characters, and I'm gonna whatever pushing the boundaries of of that shit. We're competitive because now we want you know we, we want to be known. Sure, we, we want we want to put our flag in the ground and, and, and make our it. fucking yeah. mark. Yeah. So and, and so on the other part, of, you know, town. I mean, this is like you, you we're starting to come up in the '80s now. And uh, I got my notoriety from spray can art, like, and all that shit with Henry Chalafon, and like all those cool things were happening. But at the same time, I still was like, I need something more because I really need to like step this up. Right. The the feeling in my gut was my mom was in a in a bad relationship with with a you know a dude, and we just needed to like. We needed to, we needed to get get out of this situation we were in. Right. And after I got arrested in the train yards, it made the daily newspapers. Right. So you still have it? Yeah. You still have the so getting caught in the in the train yard doing this Miami Vice call with with uh, you know I didn't basically I was in the in the yard with a few writers and uh, Will One and Coase and and Revs and and. Basically, everybody got away but me and Copes. <laughs> okay. And, uh, but they knew who I was because I had my sketch in my pocket with mm. Don Johnson on the Ferrari with the gun. And so the next day it was in the newspapers. Vice is a nice three get brushed and graffiti paint. You know, for me, it made me a neighborhood celebrity. Of but, course. But my career painting trains were numbered because, you know, that they know who the fuck you are. They're kind of, they're not stupid. Right. right? Um, so now I have to take this kind of. Uh, this this uh, the only thing that I had. I was like, "What the fuck am I gonna do now?" Yeah. But in you know in this in this 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 meat sauce in this pot of sauce that we were cooking <laughs> and simmering for a long time, you know, when you when you when your back's up against the wall, you start figuring it out. Right. Like, okay, maybe I can start emceeing. Maybe I take the spray can and turn that into the lyrics and turn that microphone into the spray can into the microphone and and maybe there's something there and that happens um, because I start in my downtime painting signs for Ernie Barry's uh, Ernie Barry's is a nightclub in Bay Ridge that was doing disco track acts and when Ernie Barry had me started painting his signs now, I forget to tell you that I also started this, this, this neighborhood crew called the Verrazano Boys, right? Okay. So on the trains, it was called the Vice Boys because we were, you know, the vice, uh, the vice element of, of, of crime. Right. But when we got back to the neighborhood, VB Vice Boys turned into the Verrazano Boys because I was very proud of my, my little section of the neighborhood in that bridge. Because mm-hmm. like Tony Monaro, that bridge was like our home turf. And we climbed it, we lived in it, we painted on it. It was like the, the Verrazano Bridge, the girders that you'll hear stories about, was my masterpiece art gallery. Okay. Mine, like, handed down to me from RR, from Gasp, to me. And then 
you know, the story is, you know, like, you know, Revs and everybody else that came through me there. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the rest is history. Me and Mike, when me and Revs hooked up, it, it turned into something, you know, um, something special. And sure. he was one of the Vice Boys with Lask and um, a few other cats that I mentioned. And, the, you know, we, we did some real damage. And then when the time, you know, when, when the bag was up, I come back to that neighbor and I start thinking of another uh, a master plan. But being at Ernie Barry's, he took a liking to me, like RR. Like, here's another kind of mentor, kind of older yeah. man in my life was like, ah, kid, you, you got something about you. Ah, da, da, da. You uh-huh. know, hey, man, you know, hey, Mikey, I need, to bring, I need to bring kids here. You got a lot of friends. You got hundreds of friends. You're like <laughs> yeah. a big shot with these friends. Right, you you got to get them to come to my club. Right. So my <laughs> first real, like, branding job was branding his club. Okay. And back in the day, people called it, you know, producing because you would have, a, uh, you would get a, the nightclub would give you a budget to go make up flyers. You know, those club passes? Sure. So, a little of, five by seven. Yeah, or and all of a sudden six. that shit legitimized where I'm doing graffiti in his, in, for his signs, taking my graffiti skills to make signs for him, but then I'm doing his club passes and he lets me produce events. So now it becomes a Caves Verrazano Boy production. So oh, legit. shit. Now right? you're legit. My boys are working in, in, his, in Ernie Barry's Moose and Hirsch and this one and that one and Sal and... and uh, Got, we got the whole crew in there, and, and it was very much, like I say, like the Saturday Fever, where we walked in that club, the shit parted like the Red Sea, and it was our joint. And Adam started DJing. So here's where it starts to come together. Right. Adam starts DJing. One of my graffiti buddies, I get to work at Ernie Barry, is Frankie Bones. Frankie Bones, legendary. Frankie Bones. And I know him. Another mentor of mine is Ants, an old out king, graffiti king, is Ants. Okay? And he's another guy that, that the story's a long story, so we're gonna cut it short. But Ants, another, he's like my big brother. He's like a guardian to me. And I got away with a lot of shit because I was a big mouth and little fuck. Right. Martial arts skill, but Ant was like King Kong. And uh, I was able to be, he was like King Ant, I was able to call myself Prince Kings. Okay. Because he was the king, I was the prince, and we did damage ever since. Gotcha. Um, but when I'm doing the shit for uh, Ernie Barry's, you know, I get that moment where he says, you know, I'm going to close down because he's taking money from the gangsters. He's in the hole. He's on the hook. And, um, so he gives me Karen, uh, Karen Lewis, a good agent. Okay? He gives, gives me the list. And that's another time in my life where the moment was there, the opportunity, and I've seen the, the hip-hop groups he had on that list. Now, he's actually been TKA and Divine and all this disco oh, shit. shit. Yeah. I'm like, yo, that shit's, oh, that, shit's, that shit's corny compared to what I got here. Right. Public Enemy. Oh, Big Daddy King. Fuck yeah. Bismarcky. Yeah. Today, happy birthday, Bismarcky. Happy birthday, birthday. To, to the Biz. Yeah. Um, so... He entrusted me to book these groups. And my brother's DJing. We have a little record store called the Verrazano Record Store. Um, rest in peace to Bobby, the owner of it. Carmine was his nephew. We had this little record store. Frankie Bones started hanging with us because we're through Ant. I met Bones and SS and all these crazy writers. And I was hanging out with SS for, for a minute. And... 
there's all this graffiti history that, that comes involved. But we made these bonds and these friendships with graffiti writers. So now you, you, you know, you use the resources. So I'm like, yo, Bones, I got this club. So Bones starts DJing, and Bones is nice. Bones is a legend with his mixtapes out of the fucking arcade and yeah. State Parkway. So he starts teaching Adam. Adam is DJing, but Adam like is really like cutting his teeth with Frankie Bones because Bones is, is nice with it. But Bones was into hip hop, but the aggression of it, I think like there's always beef, and I don't think Bones was was like built for the beef in a sense where because he held his own, but. He started getting more into the club music and right. more into like the girls and more into like you know there was that scene brewing with Frankie Bones right then and there. But he was totally in the beginning a hip hop DJ. Right. And some of the first demos I ever made and people don't even know it was in Frankie Bones' house. But me just trying to figure out what the fuck I'm doing here. Yeah. And um, <laughs> but. I had no idea about all this, but go ahead. Yeah. So I start throwing these shows, and they, they become the shows become pretty big from around the neighborhood. We get, a, we get, I always exaggerate to say it's fucking 3,000 because it's a good Paul Bunyan fucking <laughs> thing to do. But let's say it was like a capacity of 500 people in that club. We definitely went way above capacity. Right. But it was, it was the night of bringing Public Enemy to Ernie Barry's would change everybody's life because it really um, it really like brought something to the next level because Spike Lee's writing the story about summer you know in, in Bed-Stuy right or, or Brownsville Bed-Stuy right is it Brownsville Bed-Stuy was it or do the right thing Bed-Stuy okay Bed-Stuy he's writing the Mike Tyson block right that that He's writing a story about the summer in the city. Yeah. But flip side, the Bay Ridge, the summer to that, you know, or it was the, the, the fall, you know, it was the spring. Yeah, it was probably like February into, into the spring, like winter into the spring, before that hot summer, you do the right thing. I brought Public Enemy to fucking death threats and everything. Don't bring those cats to the neighborhood. I brought them to Ernie Barry's. You got death threats for that? Oh, hell yeah. Really? Yeah, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> That's fucking nuts. I brought them to that. Not only did I bring this, the first time Chuck D told me that there's the first time he played to an all-white audience and knew that he had an all-white audience to play to. And motherfuckers... That probably blew his mind. Blew probably. His mind. Yeah. Definitely blew his mind. Blew our mind. But I made a friendship with him and that, and that group and Professor Grip, all those guys. Um... That became a long, long life friendship. And Chuck D's another one that I used to call on the phone. And he used to let me call him and bother him. Yeah. And they're another mentor, you know, like Yeah. Like I, I, I find like to be the best you gotta you gotta find the best and roll with the best and like and kids don't understand today, man, that mentorship thing and like really paying your dues and grinding it out and going, you know, if you're the coffee fucking uh, getter then uh-huh. be the best coffee fucking getter, right? Yeah. Um, so, we bring them there. Long story short, Chuck D asks me if I'm Ryan. I tell him, yeah, we got the best rap group in Bay Ridge and we didn't really have the rap group really formulated yet. Right. Um, and Troy, <laughs> Troy was super, super, super dope with it. And Troy went away to a, a, a group home his mom kicked him out of the house. Cut back to Troy real quick. 
His mom kicked him out of the house. He used to run away a lot because we were always bombing. We were, he was always sleeping over my house. He went to a group home. He came back from this group home, and I heard him MC and blew my fucking mind. Now, thinking about MCing and playing around in the school and playing with Frankie Bones, it's, it's just play. Yeah. But when Troy, when I, I see that Troy had that talent like that, and that's my man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, he's one of my best friends. I was like, okay, there's the key. There's the key to it, because Troy's not going to, I'm his crew, his, his boy. Right away, he was like, okay, this is how you pen this. Mm-hmm. This is how, here, here's a few of my lyrics. Here's, here, build off this. Here's a four track in my room with Digitech. A uh, little sampler. All of a sudden, we're making music. And he's doing my first demos in my in my bedroom, and I have uh, and I'm sampling doo-wop shit for my father, Donovan for my mother, and I'm making beats and everything. And Adam's DJing, so Adam was the DJ, and I was the MC. And Troy, Troy was MCing, but Troy had this thing called TSU, and at the time, his mom. With army, uh, army base, they move, and that's the sad part. Is that yeah. Troy had to move to Maryland? So Troy moved to Maryland, but before he gets to move, I get him to play uh, Ernie Barry's, and he opens up for Big Daddy Kane. Fuck. Now you don't know about Troy because Troy's not really a no, like a well-known cat, but to to me, he's he's a uh, huge one. Of, yeah, one of my best friends, and and. He's Big Daddy Kane to me because he's just as talented as a Big Daddy Kane, as a Slick Rick. He's one of those dudes that are, that are effortlessly talented, like MC. So he gets up there and he opens up with Big Daddy Kane. I do the graffiti for it. And um, we're getting these groups and we get KRS-One and then finally, Fuck. boom, 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 shootout, brawl. Oh, man. Uh, I think it was KHB against Big Parkway. It was like some, there's some ill King Highway boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Wade and, and the boys. Uh-huh. Uh, bad there. Um, it's, it's shut down Ernie Barry's to where that's it. No more no more hip-hop. It finally happened where there was some, some violence popped off. And then, you know, Ernie, we always had, like, it was always a bloodbath going on at one point or another. Someone, you know, fighting in Bay Ridge. And that's where we got, you know, you know, our motto from Drink, Fuck, Fight. This right. is Saturday night. So, Troy, Troy, you know, we try to, you know, spark up something with Troy, but now I'm, I'm, I'm friendly with um, Chuck D and all of them. I'm going to Spectrum City every weekend. I'm driving all the way out to Long Island. Snow, sleep, doesn't matter. It's a good year, two years maybe. Um, and Troy got discouraged and, and moved to Maryland because his mom was out there and pretty much kind of like got into hustling. So the rapping thing was like a hobby. It wasn't like, but to me, it wasn't a hobby. This shit was like, to me, it was, a, it had to be a career. I didn't have shit. It had shit. to be, yeah. So I, a few times going out to uh, Public Enemy, they were putting together leaders in the new school I tried out for. They Did were, you really? Yeah, like, no well, shit. It wasn't much of a try. It was like, yo, we're putting together a group. Come, come here. I met Charlie Brown and them. And I was going to say Charlie yeah, Brown. Yeah, they, they were just trying to organize. I didn't meet Buster at that point then in time, but Charlie Brown and what I was really hanging out with was Keith Shockley and Hank Shockley. Okay. And the great thing about those brothers, they schooled me right away. Like, you always got to be, you know, learning. And they were like, yo, it's about concept. It's about production. It's about this. It's about that. 
and they're like, what is it about your life? Like, what is, like, who are you? And what are you? Like, and they, they chuck the, and they, they love my swagger showing up in there in the Varazano boys jacket and my three finger ring and all of this tough Brooklyn shit. But they were like, you go home and you think of a, you think of a real name. Professor Griff tried to work with us for a minute and put Troy together with me and, and put together a group and I think it lasted for about a day. We took some photo, photo, uh, we did a photo shoot with them, but it was like, everybody was trying to find the next big thing, but Hank, Hank and Keith were like, Hank was like, said to Troy, he was like, yo, Troy, man, he said, you're a dope brother, but there's a lot of dope brothers. Right. Not a lot of these guys. And right. created us as like white MCs, right? Of course. And Troy was like, yo, I'm not into all of that shit, you know, like, we didn't look at each other like that. So he didn't like the idea that that Hank was saying, you know, you should be focusing on these kids because that's your your fucking meal, you know, your meal ticket in yeah. a sense because that's what he was getting at. And Troy, like, like I said, he was making money hustling, so he moved back to Maryland, and we were like, fuck. So I went back home with Adam, and I started going into my peace books and sketching shit, and what stuck out in my mind was like... Hank Shockley saying to me, like, you need to come with a concept. You know, you, you know, yeah, you're the Varazano boys, but it needs to be bigger. You know, you're, you know, yeah, you're caves, you're this graffiti writer, but you got to dig deeper. All right. So I'm sketching in my peace book, and I'm sketching, 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 and who stands out in my mind is just my father as a kid, like, just talking all of that, that, that gangster shit about... You know, we're the fucking real Lords of Flatbush, right? Because his gang, Pigtown, was, right? And That's and, what I pictured when you yeah. said earlier about your followers in the Grease yeah. gang. Yeah. And then I just automatically thought Lords of Flatbush, the movie, yeah. the way they looked and everything. Yeah, and my father, my bug out on Frankie Bones. Frankie Bones ain't the original Bones. My father's name is Bones, so it's, it's, it's tattooed on his arm, Bones. Okay. So <laughs> he's like Flatbush Bones. So um, I was digging, and like I said, like... American cinema raised us because I romanticized about gangs and culture and, and you know the warriors and this and that and, and but the Lords of Flatbush with Henry Winkler and Sylvester Stallone like mm-hmm. I was like I was like the Lords of Bay Ridge you know maybe Lords of Bay Ridge you know like but Bay Ridge is just a part of my story right and my mother's in this and that I'm like and Bay Ridge is a small part and I'm like Lords of Flappers you know, I, I was born in Flappers but I can't claim that that's not my thing I'm like, but fuck it I'm like in my mind I'm like fuck everybody like I'm just gonna coin Brooklyn because Brooklyn is fucking what we all have in common yeah. and to me Brooklyn is my, my identity because I didn't have an identity except for the, except for being like broken sure. so but the graffiti thing built me back up and and then I was just like boom came to me right then and there and I was I was sketching a little microphone cat with like a leather jacket after Freedom spray can guy that okay. influenced me he had the spray can guy with the leather jacket okay, yeah, so I, I started it. putting it together a microphone and then I was just like ah fuck that then I just started doing the Lords of Flappish I was penning the Lords of Flappish logo and I just turned it into Lords of Brooklyn so hence came the name so now it's like now it's like okay I got this name got this concept, I got a cool, I got a bag full of rhymes, got some beats, whatever, my brother's DJing, and so Adam's behind the DJing, so I'm like, but you need, 
and the truth is, I was like, yo, yo, you need more than, you know, the Lords of Flatbush had like five cats. Right. <laughs> I, need, I need five cats. <laughs> yeah. And Troy wasn't going to be down because Troy was like, yo, you know, Troy was like, nah, I'm a hustling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and, and it just worked out this way. It was like, I need cats. And I started like, you know, we had Ernie Barris. We had the night we, we were going around and everything else. But then I started like, he, like walking around with my demos and, and trying to figure it out. And then I heard about Scott. So I heard about Scott. At the Scotty Edge. Yeah, and I don't know I, I don't know if I heard about Scott because we met each other in Fort Hamilton High School. Was that where we first met each other? You were on a skateboard, I think? Probably, yeah. Scott was nice with the skateboard, like the tricks on the skateboard. Like, okay. was it Mullen? Yeah, freestyle skate. Now, now it's got to ha- I see on Instagram now, everyone freestyles now. It's like a big thing. Yo, he, so Scott was like, well, I think the first time I met Scott, he was freestyling skateboard. Um, good-looking kid, lanky kid. Nice, well-mannered kid. Um, not this kind of like, you know, everybody has their, their swagger and their, their 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 little edge about them. Mm-hmm. But Scott had a well-mannered, uh, like, cool, calm, Scotty the Emerald, Scotty Edge, green-eyed Scotty Edge, right? Like, So when he told me that he rhymed and he had his DJ, DJ Shamrock and he's the Emerald, Scotty Edge, I was like... Cool. Yeah. I was like, all right, like, like, and he's very wordy with his. He, he had a lot of lyrics, and it was like, all right, cool. And it took me some t- time. Like, he was very much on his solo tip, and like, he's got his own thing. We got my thing, and it took me like, and if you didn't guess by now, I'm pretty good with the gab, you know. So, <laughs> I'm so, just sitting here, yeah, yeah. just go. So I, so <laughs> I, I, I said, Scott, yo, man, you know, like, I think, I think you should ride with us. Like, I think you should get involved with us. I said, matter of fact. Now, at, the, at this point, Chuck D, like, I bothered him enough. He wasn't having it anymore. I couldn't really get in touch with them. I, I think they were, you know, they were touring a lot. But Professor Griff was, was the communications with me when we did Ernie Badge. We became friendly. And Professor Griff would do demos for people. So I was hollering at Griff. And um, there's a lot of people. There's Dave Funk and Klein that I was working with at the time. And there's, like all hip-hop shit, but Professor Griff, you know, said he was down there to produce a demo, and I think for like 500 bucks, you get like six songs from him or some shit. Oh, it's like ridiculous. And um, that was probably the first time I paid for fucking music, and the last time, right? Because I was just like, okay, you gotta do something else, but we went out there, and we put together my first demos, and one of the songs I had, I said, Scott, you gotta come and, and cameo on. Right, and um, and I think he came out there, and we were putting stuff together. And when he cameoed on that song, I think it was the Lords of Brooklyn song, he came in and, and, and killed it. And I was like, all right, this you, this has to be. You got to be in the band. Right. This you know, just gotta. This feels good. This this is right. Yeah. So that's when it became. Now, me, Adam, and Scott. Gotcha. And the Lords of Brooklyn started to form as as you know. It was me and my brother at first, but like I said, like I didn't feel like we, we needed a band, we needed a group. Sure. Um, and, and and after those demos, like so, I had like a, a a few demos, but this demo with Professor Griff, I started like honing it, like packaging it, like I'm starting to get good at this shit now. And now I got Scott on the song, and I'm like fuck. So now it's time to start becoming. 
like a real group and paying your dues and if you're battling other MCs, if you're doing shows, if you're doing shows and bars around Bay Ridge, we were doing that shit. Half the times the shows turned into fucking melees and brawls. Of course. There's <laughs> le legendary stories like we brought down these college kids that wanted to do our first music video. It wasn't our first music video. I, I won't skip to it. It was our second. Um, but we brought them down. They wanted to do a. Uh, they wanted to do a video for us. So we said, "Yeah, come hang out with us. We're going to do this show at Violet Violet Zone or whatever." And we invited these college kids. You know, like oh shit, the college buffs came 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 through or whatever. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we go to perform. Pistols are drawn. Big fucking bar barroom brawl. Those dudes are hiding under the table, and they were like football player size. Remember those two dudes? Um, and but that's what it was. It was like always a like between it all. Like Bay Ridge is known for its bars and pizzerias, and back in the day, it was the place to be. Yeah. And as kids, all we wanted to do was graduate to hang out in the bars. So it started in the parks with the kegs and the. And the beer parties and, and all that shit, and then to graduate to get up to Third Avenue, be in the bars. Eventually, that's where it all. A lot of uh, Lords of Brooklyn early days were spent in a lot of those bars, tearing them the fuck up, you know. Yeah. And um, and we always had a big crew, hundred fucking kids at any given time. Um, but that's where the early days of Lords of Brooklyn came to be. And but I didn't forget about my roots as a graffiti artist would play a big part in the like the imagery of the Lords of Brooklyn the marketing of the Lords of Brooklyn yeah. the conceptual kind of and me thinking that you know as a director in a sense that like you know American Graffiti was another film that was like another crazy film that spoke to me I wanted to eventually be a director so by me directing this package this band as this group was like the foundation on how to put together um, like branding like fucking street branding yeah. you know um, so what really started to catch on is when I had the next aha moment was like how am I marketing this group that people like how are we gonna like for people to know who the fuck we are and I'm jumping around a little bit but um, I said that I was you know I was fucking up hardcore in the in the bars and I was I was drinking a lot and and my old friend Mars SG mm -hmm. was going to fucking um was going to SVA. So graffiti writers all flock with graffiti writers. Sure. When you're a little kid you're supposed to go to art and design. So I went to art and design for six months and I went to Fort Hamilton because I couldn't handle the traveling because I was a little motherfucker. But from art and design SVA is another graffiti school. So they came to me one night in 3rd Avenue. We were drinking and hanging out. And they're like, yo, what the... School of Visual Arts, yeah. if people don't know. They were like, what the fuck are you doing? You, you're going to waste all this talent. I, they're like, yo, I understand you got this band and everything, but you're here with... Yo, we just seen, like, you know, motherfuckers being dragged off in ambulances. And, like, there's always a, 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 a mad fucking... It's always ill on a Saturday night here. Like, mm -hmm. you're going to spend the rest of your life here? They're like, we're all going to SBA, man. You should come. Get back into writing because I because I, I put it down for a little bit because I was focused on the rapping. Sure. And um, and they're like, you know, we're doing big things there. And in that, I said, okay, cool. In that short period of time, and and here's another thing is like, um, the behind the scenes person that a lot of people don't know about is Donna, because Donna was like the missing loads of she was like the quiet 
Lords of Brooklyn. She's the she's the the uh, the, the fifth member. You know, like she's she's the she's the behind the scenes, like Oz behind the curtain because she in the early days when we were going. Uh, doing demos and, and, and uh, going to the studios it was usually her paying for it or her yeah. driving us around right yeah. but when she was going to Houston I was like nah you can't go to Houston I'm going to go to SVA you got to come to SVA with me mm-hmm. and she was an artist in her own right she was like a sculptor and everything else so we all went to SVA and I really started that foundation year gave me time to really start to plan the Lords of Brooklyn in the sense of like the attack of how we going to be different from everybody else and I met kids there that were silk screening and there was kids doing a lot of shit so I said you know what when I take this graffiti shit and I put it on a t-shirt and I don't see a lot of people doing that I don't see anybody doing that so um, we took the first LB logo that that, um, Mars helped design it was a train coming out of a marker so we put together this, this logo and Scope and Mars and these dudes were very technical, very talented dudes. Enlisted some other guys, and we put together the packaging for the first Lords of Brooklyn record. And um, I put this uh, design on the front of a shirt, and I took a tag on the back. Turnstile Hopper, fuck the copper, was one of our lyrics. Okay. And I'm like, all right. Now we put the now we put this we put this shit on on a t-shirt and we start giving it out to everybody and people start buying them. And I'm selling them out of my trunk and they're hot the hot item. But somebody from the New York Times picks up on it and they write an article when uh, rap when graffiti meets or when rap meets graffiti or something and it shows took a picture of us in our gear and they talk about how Lords of Brooklyn is like taking this new approach of graffiti on t-shirts to to market their band, whatever. There's, we have it somewhere. Yeah. And it popped off. And at the same time, we did the song. Uh, I produced a song called Bomb the System. And Bomb the System was off our demo, and it was a very rough song. But it was the first time, like after the first Lords of Brooklyn song we did together with Griff, that was the first time we went back in to record a song, yeah, right? Yeah, was, we did a song about graffiti. Yeah. Like, the way we looked at it was like we didn't. I mean, there were other rappers, you know, obviously we got the new one, it's all around, around, around Z, but I mean, you know, we never really heard too many songs, strictly like story songs about graffiti, you know, so, right, yeah, no, that was, so the way me and Mike looked at it kind of was like, hey man, you know, I mean, we rap about all different things, about like, you know, backgrounds or neighborhood or whatnot, well that's a huge part of Mike's background, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's no reason not to incorporate that because that's part of our lives, you know what I'm saying? So we wrote like story rhymes about graffiti, but it wasn't like the only thing we did, it was just one, you know, a song we did, you know? So yeah. the, the, cool, the cool thing about it was, it's like, I like, yes, Futura, when I was a kid, I had the Futura record, the ex, you know, Escapades of Futura, and Ramo Z was a writer, but he wasn't really ra- like rapping about like fucking mission to the layups and, and turn, like like a real story slip, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, the depiction of, of of writing graffiti and the song uh, bombing system that you know Des coined the phrase yo I'm not running system I'm bombing system so I sampled I made the track and the track was like I could come together with like the doors are uh, fucking um, Riders of the Storm. Mm-hmm. And the song was originally going to be Writers of the Storm. Writers of the Storm. Um, 
So we went to this kid's basement that lived close to us on the, on the two inch or a half inch or something. I put together that beat, and Adam wasn't even producing us yet. Like, he wasn't producing yet. Um, he was just DJing, and we um, we did uh, we did the song, and I think my mom broke a leg in the like the street fucking the fire hydrant in the winter time um, was uh, busted, and she broke a leg. She got like a little sediment. So we were able to buy a fucking like Super 8 camera. Um, and I filmed a video to go along with Bomb the System. So I directed a video and along with Henry Chalifant because I went to Henry and called from Videograph. And I was like, listen, I got this, all this footage that I filmed and I, and I want to put together this like homemade music video. And there wasn't like, this is like, I'm going to tell you that these things are... are are the first of its kind at the time. Sure. So we put together this music video, Bomb the System, where we're running around the tunnels doing our thing and blah, blah, blah. And Henry, in his studio, puts, um, like, I have this idea of putting a screen. Um, and Henry's like, yeah, we could take some of my photos and we could put it, you know, behind you when you're rapping. So we do this video, Bomb the System. And at the time, Call from Videograph had a big distribution deal going on. So right now there's no independent kind of like record company sources that we knew of. But Call was distributing uh, Videograph and and he said, yo, we'll let you put your, your video on the tail end of my video. Oh, so it was like a cameo. Yeah. You know, and we dreamed for years like to us, man, being from love, famous was getting on video music box with Rock McDaniels. That was really what. Yeah, I, that was what yeah. it was to us. That was guys like me and Mike. That's yeah. the end all be all. Yeah, you know? right. if you make get it on video, video music box, box, you got that you, shit. Yo. I mean, I say it in a song. I say, you know, thirty one on a Friday, and you know, you, you, you know, you, vice versa is all like lyric and stuff. But it says basically, you said, then you know that you made it. Yeah, you know, you know, and that's. Really, the truth. So, you know, so we, that's how we felt. So, yeah. So the idea was try to like, like, all right, let's make some music videos. And call. Yeah, and he had a following with those videographs, like nobody's business. And that was like the second coming of, of like the graffiti scene getting hot again. Yeah. But you know, after the '80s and you know, uh, you know, the cats tearing it up in, in the galleries. Uh, the clean train movement, and that's, you know, there was a little movement there, but graffiti towards, you know, this is going on, you know, 88, 89 is over on the trains the way it was. Yeah. And so video, video, uh, videograph was actually keeping it alive because now Cass was getting famous off his videotapes, but the distribution was crazy. He was killing it, and we had our video and an interview. And, and so that started catching on and, like, picking up, like, wildfire, and... And um, one thing led to another. I think we, we hooked up with a cat, Kevin Maxwell, um, at Tommy Boy Records. Yeah. And, um, and you know, like I say, I'm cutting down a lot of these stories sure, short yeah. just to get, you know, not to bore everybody with fucking death or whatever. But Nah, I don't think uh, anyone's bored. Yeah. I, you know, what happens at this point is that we get Kevin, um, Kevin Maxwell... And he, and he, another great cat that opens up his doors to us. And we do a demo song called Baseball Bats and Beers with Shandy Quilden, that is Kevin Maxwell's board. Now, at this point, Adam is, took my Digitech. My brother likes to smoke. I, you know, I'm not a big smoker. And he just starting to sit behind that, 
that little four track in that in that in that sampler, and he's starting to come up with beats. Um, so Adam's really starting to hone his skill as a beat maker, and we're making this. A demo with uh, Shandy Pudlick called Baseball Bats and Beers and it's a neighborhood anthem because at, at this point the graffiti thing was, was, was dope but I'm not going to you know get into all of it but there's a lot of cats biting our shit um, and we wanted to do like a, a pissing fucking vinegar song about the neighborhood and about because in our neighborhood and I say it all the time is either there's two ways to go we found a third, but the two ways was either you're going to be a gangster yeah. or you're going to be a cop. There's, there's, there's something yeah. in the middle. Those are two directions in Bay Ridge where, you know, cats, when I say cop or gangster, somewhere in the middle is the union guy and the, right. the floor layer and this one and that one. But you might be the fireman. Yeah, there's, there's two extremes, right? right. Like gangster or, or, or cop. Yeah. Um, and um, so... Baseball bats and beers was our our like fuck you to like everybody and I'll give you Saturday Night Fever because right away people started to oh you're from the Fever you're Saturday Night Fever yeah Tony Manero Manero you bunch of fucking uh, you know my hair pops you know like blah 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 (laughs) Um, but we were like yo fuck you like like we we're starting to get like a little bit annoyed now because you know this is the sentiment in hip hop at the point at this point right now is what we're the minority. In the sense where there's like a whole pro um, movement where, like, when we were breakdancing and graffiti and everything, and like, yeah, shit was tough, shit was hard, hard rock motherfuckers, people out, you know, there was always beef and this and that. But like I said, it was still a community of multi, like, uh, how do I say, like, racial, like, there was... Like in black, Asian, Puerto Rican, white kids, this and that it was like a melting pot. Sure. New York's a motherfucking melting oh, pot. Oh, without a doubt. And all great scenes start that way. Yeah. And um, and so even punk rock and and hip hop, it's all like these street outlaw movements that happen. But at some point, you know, it turns into something us against them or them against us, and like it's bullshit. Right. And like we weren't getting invited to those hip hop shows in the same way anymore. And it was like because there was. You know, um, there was a movement, and 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 by all rights, there should be a movement because it was important things that bands like Public Enemy were saying, and X Clan, and and Paris. Those were very important things for 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 that community or any community to understand the power of music and changing um, with 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 or, or building movements and giving back to the culture that created it. And I, I understand by, you know, all of that shit, but but, but we, have, we felt we were very part of the culture in the sense of the street music and outlaw subculture of hip-hop and, and all of these, like, New York things. We felt very part of that. We belonged in it just the same as anybody else, yeah. right? Um, so it was very mixed, like, feelings at the time. Because we weren't like being invited the way we used to when we were breaking or writing graffiti, like the rap thing, nah, it's off limits in a sense. You right. know what I mean? So the the baseball bats and beers was like, oh, are you like don't stereotype us as you know this like just because of what what neighborhood we you know we grew up in. Right. Because obviously, if you did a background us, you know that ain't the, that ain't the that ain't the shit. Like, right. That, that that ain't the whole fucking story. No, because it's an authentic, real, organic. You know, 
way we came up and the dues that we paid. Yeah. Um, but don't get me wrong. Um, all that music is need to be made for the reasons it is and open up. If it wasn't for Public Enemy, like Run DMC, listen, I'm going to tell you like this, like when there was a time when we were driving through Benson or some of the L and all crazy shit, like Troy was in the car and cats threw bottles at the car, you know, screaming the N-word at him. I was there for it. Yeah. Right? And he's in the car with us and we're just trying to cruise the yellow fine girls or whatever. So I know the feeling must have been fucking, he must have been mortified. All right. It made us mortified too. So it was a, it was a banger, and um, our chance encounter when Maslow said, "Hey, you guys need to come, you guys need to come to the Tommy Boy Records. I'm trying to get you to feel there. We have a problem. They just signed a bunch of white guys that you guys should know. Oh shit! And the house of pain. Ah! And the house of pain. Yeah. The chance encounter that um, Danny Boy was going to be in the office doing some promotions or something. Shout out to Danny Boy. Shout out to Danny Boy. Um, you know, we uh, <laughs> paid a lot of dues. Yeah, me and Mike, I mean, Mike, you know, we could be in the city all the time, no one could recognize We had the New Music Seminar. New Music Seminar was, was, a, was a big, big deal for rappers to try to get on. years that we were um, shopping our demos and, and working on our demos because you got it like you start off as like anything else you always start off as a toy and you work your way up to, to really but when we met Danny Boy those guys were just breaking jump around and the song was a monster song. Oh, fuck and yeah. I mean, we knew it when yeah, we heard it. You still hear it. So it was a monster song, but we were, part of us was like, motherfucker. Part of us was like, yo, you can't deny it, right? Right. And Danny was like, Danny was like fucking larger than life. And when I met him, I brought my piece book because Kevin Maxwell said, you should do some pieces for these dudes. They're looking for artwork. They're looking for whatever. So I pieced up my book. And Danny right away, like a, like a culture connoisseur, mm-hmm. he's like, Yo, you're, you're the cat from Spray Paint Off. So that little book that I was in years ago went to California, went overseas, and, and Danny was, was 
so here, here it goes. Like the connection is Danny Boy was born in Brooklyn, raised like in Staten Island until he was like a, a couple of years old, I think six or seven, yeah. and then transplanted to California. So we had a deep-rooted connection with Brooklyn and wanted to know more about it. So hence, I walk into a fucking Tommy Boy office and he puts the two, two together, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And 15 minutes later, after I get out of the office, I get a beep on a beeper. A beeper. For, for your little yeah. kids. Get a, beep. <laughs> a beeper. And it's uh, Danny, like, saying, yo, let's, let's hang out. Let's build. Long story short, you know, opened up a great flood of, uh, you know, I played in my demos and played in baseball bats and beers and Everlasting Danny and Lito came to the studio and Cameo jumped on the song with us. So we came together and thanks to Danny Boy, you opened up a whole world of, okay, like, white white guys with attitudes, like, ain't gonna be pushed around by anybody in hip-hop. Right. You know, like, this is a, this is a, more than a, now it's the East Coast and the West Coast. Right. Right? Where yeah. we built, like, this little, and we became part of the Soul Assassins. Um, shout out to, to House of Pain and Cypress Hill and all, all, the, all the boys. Yeah. And, you know, it was more dues to be paid because... The next thing you know, Danny invited me to be uh, to come out on the road in the Ireland and all this great shit where this Brooklyn boy really never left his block until, you know, that day. Yeah. Um, and I became a background singer for them and a hype man for the hype man because I was like, you know, the, the roadie slash hype man. And I said to Danny, I'll come out on the road with you, but you got to let me rock my colors. And that's where the Lords of Brooklyn Best came in and I'd be on stage with them rocking that hard. And they were like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Like, we just hit it off tremendously with them. And at this point, they took me on the road to go tour on them. And I told Adam and Scott, like, you guys got to hold it down and really start honing it. And that's when Adam started coming up with that production skills like nobody's business. Yeah. But now it's on. Because now, like, I got a shot. So my thing was, like, these guys are giving me a shot to go on the road with them. Don't worry, I'll be back. Yeah. To yeah. get you guys. <laughs> and that's how it went down. Like, like we, were, we were percolating. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, we were selling mad T-shirts. Right. Getting the name out there. People thought we were a clothing company. And James Lavelle, that owned Supreme, put, was the first cat that put our shit in the city on the shelf in the store union. Oh, no shit. So, boom. Hence, I, you know... I hooked up with Larry Highland, another friend of mine from the neighborhood, and we created BMT lines because we needed a place to sell our shirts out of. And we opened up the first graffiti store by graffiti writers, apparel store, streetwear store. We were the first ones that were like, like owned us, you know, for us, by us on the low. Gotcha. You know, we <laughs> yeah. Were that, we were that store at the Bay Ridge Brooklyn that that Donna built a. a, a Front uh, double R train. We built a, a faux station. Had the graffiti supplies in there. Was on the band of squads most wanted. Of this. course, we were all of that. <laughs> but that's the beginning of the foundation of, of 
and you know, like I'm skipping through a lot of shit. Um, oh, there's so fucking much. I what, get what, it. You can't wrap everything I, into one little. When thing. I went to SBA, I met a cat that seen my my that was a fan of my graffiti. That was another writer because I was doing this Miami Vice shit. He lived in Miami at the time via Jersey. And okay. Dino Box. So okay. Dino wrote once up, and he got down. I met him at SBA, and he lost his his funding for the school and had to move back to Florida. But he was so fucking gifted and talented. I kept in touch with him. Once, how you spell O N C E R? Oh, O N C E R. Okay. And um, he was so talented. I was like, Yo, cat. And, he's, and you know, he's a, another paisan. Huh. We were like, Yo, you got to come back here. And he's like, Yo, I wanna, I wanna. I'm like, So when I showed up on the road with, in Florida with the House of Pain, we reconnected, and I told him, Yo, we're starting up this band. You know, we got the Lords of Brooklyn shit, blah, 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 blah. I want you to come, you know, you know, fucking get down with this and shit. And um, Joey was another cat. And at the same time, um, Paulie. Let's, let, you know, we get on to Paulie is that um, Paulie was a, a well-rounded, like, I knew, his sister, I knew his sister Kim for a long time. Kim was like an ill funhouse dancer. Okay. So when we were breakdancing, Paulie, funhouse. Paulie would be around, and Paulie would pick up. Paulie's a, a, a few years younger than us, so Paulie was like the little one that that got you know had to pay his dues with us. Yeah. We had to you know and he, he had to tell you that that we put him through the ringer and shit to to to. to eventually gain our respect and become part of the crew. Right. And he was always like a talented dude. Like he picked up a, a set of drumsticks or picked up a, a fucking horn or something or a BMX bike. He's around, like well-rounded, talented kid. And I, he was telling me that he was making music and I listened to some of his stuff. And I was like, it's cool, but we're brewing something a little bit, you know, we're brewing something a little hardcore over here. And he was like, no, you know, I want to get down, you know. I want to, whatever I got to do to pay the dues. I want to, I want to get down with this too. So we enlisted, we enlisted Paulie. And at this time, you know, I'm, I'm fast tracking it too. With Adam, he was producing this crazy shit. But when he, we went on the road with the House of Pain, the, uh, Lethal's father hooked Adam up with an SP. So Adam was like seeing Muggs' influence and Lethal's and this one and that one. He started to learn. The SP, and when he got his hands on the SP, it was over. Yeah. He fucking started killing it. But then, on top of that, all the years of him DJing, and now he's yeah. my, he's my younger uh, brother by a year and a half. So most of the time we were fighting like cats and dogs, and I was kicking his ass up and down, you know, whatever train yard and school yard. It was always, you know, he was always the the, the annoying younger brother with the loud mouth. Mm-hmm. But now. He's DJing, all, he's DJing all of this time, and his timing is, is who knows? Like, it's like he was always living like with a metronome in his head, right? <laughs> yeah. So at one point he's got the fever. It was a perfect volume before. Yeah. People listening are like, "What is that?" And they keep fucking playing. So my brother's like, "Yo, I'm gonna get on." Right. I was sitting there doing a hundred times. 
but um, it was it was it was too um, you know the idea was to get major record deal and uh, and it wasn't it wasn't until like real tragedy hit home for all of us that it really like kicked it into reality right um, Scotty, tell the road a little. Scotty! <laughs> That's what happens when you record in the studio, right? That's it. This is, this is, this is a little song I'm working on. I don't know if I, like I told you before. We used to make a TV show called Raisin. Right. Which was funny because we did the soundtrack to the movie. The movie. Yeah. The truth is, is that, that that year when it was finally all coming together, we got a deal with uh, Bruce Carbone and Polygram Records with Lethal signed as a, a production deal. Right. Our first real record deal was, was with Lethal. That never happened. Okay. I'm gonna tell you what happened. So we had a big falling out at the time. Everybody was young, crazy, and wild. But Lethal was supposed to come to, to New York to, to produce us, and it never happened. So Polygram ended up dropping us because the it he didn't uh, fulfill his duties. Okay. Right? So it made for some hard feelings and a bunch of shit for a while. Right. Um, but I think what really um, what the bond that brought us all together was, you know, Scott's mom. Um, she had a sudden heart attack. And. Um, and passed away, and um, it blew our mind because Scott Scott dropped up the board, you know. Yeah. And his mom was a uh, was a, uh, a really beautiful woman, and, and always given, you know, like like moms do. And um, and you know, she passed, and, and I remember running to uh, running to my mom's house and saying, you know, like, that uh, Scott's mom passed away, and and and. I told my mom, I, I don't know what I, I would do without you, because she was really, I was, my mother was my cheerleader, like my best friend. Yeah. And seeing Scott just go through that, besides, you know, before that, our friend Bobby Boss uh, uh, died, he got hit by a train, and there's all, you know, there's a lot of people in our neighborhood we came up with, a lot of, like, sad stories, and a lot of, like, uh, friends that are gone, but this is when it started hitting home, you know, just as a reality, like, you know, Scott's mom, and then it was, uh, I don't know if it was, it was, it was Paulie's mom right shortly after, right? 
Yeah, I've always wanted to dive around. I'm not sure if it was before your mom or before, yeah, but after your mom, right? Most, I think so. I think so. I think like, and, and it's blurry to me, but right. the story is like, because um, like people know like the story of, of my brother and I, but the inner story, the Lords of Brooklyn. I, I mentioned at the reunion show, um, Baldy's mom, you know. Show that you did a gramercy, huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was there. I mentioned a little bit about it, but um, you know, I was also tight. You know, we're all, we're all each other's fucking like people. We we we're like these schoolyard, you know, uh, best friends. And so Paulie's mom, like, I go to his his house, and his mom says to me, like, yo, you get. You better take care of my son, you know, like, she's sick. She, boy, mom died of cancer. That, that. So, and then, you know, like, if you want to talk about friendship and, and the way everybody bonds, is like, now it's like, we only have each other because what happens to me and Adam is like, like, it's a nightmare, one after another. Yeah. My, you know, my mom and sister were taken away by the big run. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, we're all motherless. Which blows my mind that yeah. it's so unsolved. Yeah. So, and there's, you know, and people could do research and look into it. And, uh, I, like I said, like, we, we, we're on this, we're doing the show with uh, podcast with you. After all said and done, like, well, all of us have this kind of unique uh, kinship and, like, this real bond of, like, we have to do something with our talent and, and something in the name of our mothers to kind of like, you know, like it, it wasn't all for nothing. You know what I mean? Like all this struggle and all this grief and all this drama. Um, we'll, we'll go take on the world. We'll fight, we'll fight all of them. You know, we'll take it all on. So the beefs that we got into and, uh, and in the industry, if we were blacklisted by people that, that like try to like take advantage of us and we weren't standing it, we weren't going for it because... We got everything taken away from us. You ain't gonna take away our music too. Right. So go fuck yourselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. And we weren't a put together group that was put together by an agency or put together by a producer. Right. We were like we were blood brothers, man, you know what I'm saying? Like and and our real mission was, you know, um, was a lot larger than just some bullshit try to make some money. Because we you know, it's never been about the money because we never really made any money off of it. Um Enough to, you know, go around the world a few times. And we, you know, our first record deal that really came out was the All in the Family record. Yeah, and that was like guts, like blood and guts and no guts, no glory. Like it was really us going for it. A bunch of Bay Ridge kids, like going after the world, letting Brooklyn be known. Like this ain't a joke. Like because up until then, man, there's some, there's, you know, there's Brooklyn movies and stories and MCs and, but not quite like us nope man not like us we like there was the real McCoy's it was a real story it was like a, there's a group of brothers that were bonded by that and you know the deal is is that we got that record out we got on the MTV we got you know we did those things that we promised we were gonna do we didn't have a like a smash hit like uh 
more so to like jump around. Right. But Saturday Night Fever was enough of an underground song for us mm-hmm. because we got compared. Like when we came out at the time, it was like Biggie Smalls or it was Nirvana. So there's yeah, no, there's no rap, time frame. There's yeah. no really rap radio. Like Jump Around was like that was it. Like there was there was. The success that happened with Jump Around was all across the board, like a popular hit. But hip-hop radio was all over it. Um, but that was it. When we came out underneath, like, we were in the same crew. We were in the same organization, the Soul Assassins. When we came out, because we had the little falling out, we didn't really stick with it going in that direction. Like, right. we could have did songs with them and came out with them. And the first demo that I had with the baseball bats and beers could have been a follow-up right on the tails of House of Pain. But yeah. it always felt to us that, you know, we would be just riding their coattails. Right. So we went the opposite way with a more rock-driven hip-hop record. So the Kiss samples that my brother was digging up and all of that type of rock, you know, the American Woman... At the time, there was no real hip-hop radio for that. Plus, right. we kind of blacklisted from, from that, that radio uh, style uh, of, uh, you know, there's a bunch of gatekeepers that were n- definitely not trying to let the Lords of Brooklyn live. Fuck. Um, yeah. Uh, kept those, those gates closed. Like, House of Pain got over, like, in a sense, because there was an undeniable song. Yeah. But that's, you know, uh, one, one group of... Uh, wow, white boys, they don't need another group. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. So we got like a pigeonhole, but overseas was different. Overseas. It seems that way a lot of times. Yeah, time. overseas in Japan, we were, be, we were pretty big names out there, and we opened up doors for like the fun of the criminals and a lot of bands that followed up to blow up out there. But um, when we came back home, um, the record didn't do the numbers that it was supposed to do. And they put us into the studio to do a second record. And then things started to like unravel because the label, um, like Venture closed down right. from American Records. And we were left uh, labelless. Right. You know, uh, and like Island by something. What was it? Something with Island Records? Yeah, there, there, was, like that? there was always something going on of this nature. Yeah. But, you know, all the, all the years of. of, of, of uh, paying our dues and finally getting that record out and touring the world and doing what we did and you know the fame and the moderate fame we had and the success and we had some great great fucking times when you get back home um, and it all goes away it's very hard to reinvent yourself again and we did it maybe seven more times um, fucking rad, you know, at, least at the end at the end of the day of. we had a record deal on Polygram uh, American um, Island uh, Def Jam, uh, uh, Republic Records, yeah. um, High Times, uh, Bape, the Bape label. Uh-huh. So we, we, we've been around, and then we come back and did another record for Warner Brothers as the Lords, because we did more of like a, a punk rock, yep. hip-hop hybrid, and I didn't want to fuck with the Lords of Brooklyn catalog. Right. So we made a distinction if we're going to go more heavy with the punk rock, the Lords of Brooklyn would stay as, as you know, that identity and we right the Lords it was just like an offshoot of it yep um, but it, but but the deal is the truth is is that at, at some point around you know that 97 98 um, the, the labels weren't you know um, it was different now there was independent labels coming along the fat beats and the this and the that and, mm-hmm. and we did a song with Freddie Fox on um, Land Speed that did pretty well but at that point um uh 
Dino was looking for uh, uh, a different job. Um, Paulie, Paulie left to go with the Long Beach Double All-Star guys and go a different direction. And Scott um, was uh, got it, what, got into the union at that yeah, point? Yeah, at that time, I got in, in like, maybe seven. I workers? I know. I was a union cop in the first one. Okay. I my apprenticeship there. And then, uh, then after that, it was slow. Uh, the he was booming on the iron. And, uh, I'm waiting to see a show, But dad was a rigger, you know, and uh, they were always asking me, yeah, you know, it's busy, but it works. So then I kind of got into that and I kind of like, you know, felt that that was more me. Yeah. You know, I in construction, you know. Who's got the yeah. keys? But, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, we did, you know, but I didn't leave until about 2000. You know, we had a deal with uh, Republic Records, and we did, you know, that was a, a tough time, too, because, you know, the guys who signed us there, they were the heads of that label, you know, and, uh, you know, they told us, look, we like what you guys do. You guys do your own thing, you know. You guys have your own identity, and yeah. we'll, you they, guys do you, and we'll just yeah. we'll push it out, and then... You know, with all record labels, you know, they had other groups. I'm not going to mention they all. They're great rappers and stuff like that. And they really, their label took off with those guys. Right. So they had outlets, you know, to send yeah, that we, music. And we didn't fit in that. Yeah, they were, they were looking there. for, they were looking for like a real watered down version, a commercial version of the Lords of Brooklyn. And at the time, we were still pushing music. We always pushed, like at that time, we had a song with Busta Rhymes called Forget About It. Mm-hmm. And we had, um... There was a few songs, and they were like, how do we market that shit? Like, where do we go with that? They weren't really like a hardcore hip-hop label. They were, they were more commercial. And, you know, but to kick you in the ass, you know, two years later or a year later, like, you know, Fred Durst came out with a song with Method Man and found the fucking avenue. Yeah. There's a, there a wide open, you know, avenue. And there, there was a lot of those kind of things, like when, you know, you meet, you meet rappers and they go, oh, yo... It wasn't for you guys, you know, we were writing our first shit, yo, Saturday Night Fever stuff, and like, yeah, they're like, yo, this could be you, you know, like, the success. There's been a lot of that, Lords of Brooklyn that pioneered a lot of shit, yeah. that don't get the credit, and, the, you know, because... I mean, we did songs like American Made, you know, I mean, I don't know what people would call it, you know, I don't think you'd call it, you know, country rap or... Yeah. It's like an acoustic thing. Yeah. It was, and then all the family record we had, we had. If it was the, if it was the white trash with the, with the kiss samples, or it was it was American Made that was an acoustic, uh, hip hop song. There was a lot of those things that, that we were doing, and we were inviting other people to get down and do them with us. It's soundtracks and movies, and 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 to take a bite out of the rhyme where we covered Suck MC acoustic yeah. version and. And we we did a lot of those things that you know it, you know either goes over people's heads or whatever. But you know why sit around and cry over spilled milk? Is like we always going to keep doing this music and creating this art for because we're always going to be the children that will make an art for other children. All right. And if it's, my, if it's it's my graffiti art, or if it's if it's if it's our hip-hop band or if it's directing and, and acting and we're always going to be these little b-boy kids from 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 bay ridge yeah. that um that were a band of brothers that that been doing it for over fucking 25 years yeah you know what i mean and more graffiti fucking more than 35 right or whatever yeah um a long fucking time decades long, long time we like we're like ogs and like bumpy knuckles uh 
Freddie Fox, like I said, we love we love Fox, and he's like, man, you just gotta, you know, you just gotta give him that OG shit. Now you're you're more like statesman in the in the game. Don't stop, you know. You wouldn't want your grandfather to stop telling you those le- those life lessons and that wisdom and shit. So, you know, not dating us, but we still mix it up. We still get that old man that old man strength. You know what I mean? When yeah. you get punched in the face by an old man, you're like, damn, that motherfucker yeah. got some weight behind <laughs> him, right? Yeah. So, the new record, the 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 family reunion is, is we're putting out songs and we're not on any label. It's just straight up. Uh, you know, on iTunes, and the songs will come out on YouTube. We don't have no like grand scheme of love. which is a, which is a, a very different approach than what anyone's doing now. But what what we can offer people, and we always offer people, is good solid fucking uh, is, is music with a vision, yeah. with a story, with a concept. We're storytellers. Yeah. And we come from a long line of generations of storytellers in that blood. Right. And if it was hundreds and hundreds of years ago around the fucking campfire telling tall tales about, you know, fucking uh, carving our names in the walls, it still is. Yeah. And we'll never stop being that. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities and we've been blessed because... Just as much tragedy in our life, there's also been a lot of blessings, and we, we're blessed to be around same family and friends for years, and growing our own families, and now our own kids are rapping and yeah. and, and making music, and I, and I even like like I jumped around. I didn't even mention it. My, my little brother joins the band. He was on the first record when he was six years old. Yeah. And now he's on the record at thirty. Well, true. And he's on the record at thirty years old, and he's doing his thing. Like if you see with the little thing that he dashed off. And doing charity work underneath the Lords of Brooklyn social, social club, Monica. Yeah. So that gives him an outlet to try to give back because he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So, Whoever's listening, go back in the archives. Yeah. I did a whole episode with them guys. And they do great, they do dope shit around the neighborhood. So, you know, so what, what's in store for us? Maybe, maybe people pick up uh, and do research now that you can. Yeah. You know, Study your lessons and, and, and discover about like these bands that, that and they're in all different neighborhoods. If it's like the Beat Nuts or or bands that like you overlooked or like groups from New York City in the early '90s and that time that you might have overlooked. There's a lot of great New York bands that are still making great music. And uh, shout out to like even Sadat X was at my restaurant, the Brooklyn Firefly. Uh, we're doing a hip hop brunch there. Lord Finesse was there. There's so many incredible New York, you know, musicians that came up with us and peers of us that all making still great music. Yeah. Shout out to Master Ace with his crazy shit. Right. Another Brooklyn cat. Yeah. Big Daddy King, like yeah. It's out there. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not spoon fed yeah. to you. That's all. You gotta look. You just gotta, you gotta look and, and, and understand that. There's a bigger story, and, we, and the reason why I'm not telling, the, telling you our story is because if we don't tell it, someone else, or we write it, yep. write us out of the history, right. hip hop history. Um, and, um, and yeah, you're going to be seeing a lot of more videos from us and a bunch of great songs. And the good thing about putting out a song, like calling it an album, and every couple of months putting out a new song, we might throw one in that is brand new, right? And it might fit somewhere where we didn't think was. 
the tracks I was doing is amazing. And, um, and uh, you know, we'd, we're still out here doing our thing. And, um, and I think now technology and, and there's a direct market. People have access to us on, on Instagram and they have access to us by just giving us a call. So if there's European tours and, and whatever, we're open to go do them um, and, and keep spreading the word. I mean, we swore an oath to the laws and we said that in a song and there's no turning back. And that's it. We've never been looking back. We just look forward. We look straight ahead. And I mean, go. we always yeah. love being on stage. I yeah. mean, to us, yeah. like that's like a big thing. I mean, live performance. We yeah, we, um, yeah. Loads we, of we, that. we always had we always had a great live uh, performance, and um, we toured with some great people over the years. Missed missed a lot of our old friends, Sublime, Brad. Uh-huh. Uh, we had great tours with those guys, Corn, Sugar Ray. We made tons and tons of friends over the years. Toured with Snoop. Who else we tour with, man? Uh, shit, we did festivals overseas with fucking the Foo Fighters and, and yeah, and, man, uh, those yeah, you know, there was yeah, we with a lot of people, Neil Young. There was so many different kind of like shit that happened to us along the way that's gonna make for, the book is gonna be interesting. Yeah. Shit. I sat down like this with Mick Jagger, me and him, trading war stories. Oh no, shit. listening to the first record. Wow, God bless Ted Demi for hooking that up and you know. Story shit coming around and like we're just like aging gracefully, like old, you know, like wine, fine yeah, wine, like fine wine. Yeah. That's it. Just, uh, yeah. We appreciate you having us on. I appreciate Sorry you inviting me. So long. Nah, listen, man, it's all good. Everybody, like you said, everyone's busy. You have businesses. You tattoo. Yeah. Brooklyn made tattoo. Yeah. You know, you got the firefly. I'm busy. I work nights. I got, a, I got a kid. Yeah, we all have family, so. I knew it was going to happen eventually, and whatever happened, then happened. I'm glad it did. I'm yep. glad you invited me. Where can people find the Lords of Brooklyn on the social media yeah, shit? Yeah, Lords of Brooklyn on Instagram. I think we have the original Lords of Brooklyn on Instagram. Mr. Cave, Scotty Edge, uh, The Bad Racket. Um, you can follow uh, Lords of... It's actually spelled out Lords of Brooklyn Social Club on yeah, Instagram, right too. Up. And then... Um, Lord Drew. And then, like, you could also, like, fucking send a kite, you know? So you put a, put a you know... Fuck a piece of mail in a mailbox and shit. You'll find us that way as well. There you go. Um, yeah, but lordsofbrooklyn.com if you want to get it on. There you go. All right. All right, respect. We're over here now. On my block, we hip-hop, we bebop, we two-bop, we hard-rock, we talk hop, from slingshots to rooftop. On my block, we hip-hop, we bebop, we two-bop, we hard-rock, we talk hop, from slingshots to rooftop. This is for the gangsters, this is for the hustlers, this is for the cops, man, this is for the fucking rock, this is for the family, this is for the neighborhood, this is for the On my block, we hip-hop, we beat-bop, we do-bop, we hard-rock, we duck-hop, from six-shots to root-tops. Hey, yo, this is for my fucking block. This is for my pops. This is for the corner spot. Lick a shot, pop, pop, pop. This is for you haters. This is for you busters. You wild for the night. You can ask my man, Buster. Pumps get jumped in the trunks. Bad luck, bad bomb, missus and dumb. Fuck, yo, fun like you know me. Run like you know me, homie. Been a long time since I chilled on the block Brown paper, 
bag in my hand, holding a private stock. Arguing with the boys about Biggie and Pop. About four years before they both got shot. Beat for anyone, one on one, I settle it. If I get jumped, I come back with a derelict. I'm my brother Keeper, I meet the Grim Reaper. Before I go out like the kids did in sleeper. Stay blasting the stations, staircases and basements They scraped in the pavement, the place of publications Real cats with the collars, rats little vacations For them there's no patience, just rip retaliation Where you're from if you're running, you're done no relation Where you're from if you're scum, you're done we just waste them There might be speculation, but there won't be no explanation But they don't float up or turn up in an excavation On my block we rumble, we tussle, we hustle We bring the Brooklyn muscle, never ran from a scuffle While you were popping pop rocks, we were popping Benzy boxes Slap box your slap box, there be no discussion On my block we hip hop, we bebop, we do rock, we hard rock We talk cop, from slick shots to rooftop On my block we hip hop, we bebop, we do rock, we hard rock, we talk from slick shots to rooftops. This was for the gangsters. This was for the hustlers. This was for the cops, man. This is for my fucking rap. This was for the family. This was for the neighborhood. This was going out for all the thugs I grew up Every time we talk, it's some bullshit. Lord's rain, baby. Get him out of here. Lords of Brooklyn.